0: Welcome to What's Working in Marketing, a podcast for marketers that uncovers what's working across the digital landscape by tapping into the world's best data-backed research and through candid conversations with industry experts. I'm your host, Charlie Grinnell. On this episode, I'm joined by John Tesser, VP of Research and Insights at NYC and Co. Thanks for joining me today, John. Pleasure to be here, Charlie. So I wanna go back to the beginning with you. You've had a pretty remarkable career in, in data analytics and insights. You've worked at organizations like BET, Sprinkler, New York Magazine, and ABC to name a few. How did you get into working in analytics and insights?
1: Well, Charlie, let's go back to before my work life to a time in high school um, that will illustrate how I got into data and analytics and how I chose the right career. Uh, so think back to uh, you know I would have to take the uh, the train the subway um, to go places. I grew up in New York City, and uh, as you know, uh, there's a lot of different types of ethnicities. So people, so Mexicans and Chinese, specifically in uh, in the borough of Brooklyn, uh, which is a borough of about three million people. And so I use the power of observation. I always wanted to get a seat, right? But I could never get a seat uh, when I would take the train. And so um, what I would do is I'd actually watch. People um, and figure out. Oh, okay. Well, judging based on their ethnicity and what they look like and who they are and the bags they're carrying, which train stop are they going to? Are they going to get off? And eighty to ninety percent of the time, um, using that power of observation, uh, they would get off at the stop that I think they would. And so this actually illustrates how I have essentially spent my career using data analysis observation to drive outcomes right it wasn't sitting there with an Excel spreadsheet but it was looking at somebody taking in their profile understanding who they were and expecting them to take a certain action based on that so this was done in high school and then carried through uh, you know my social psychology degree that I got from undergrad and then carried through the rest of my career where I've essentially used this power of deduction and analysis, obviously getting much more advanced using data and behavioral data. But yeah, that's actually how I, I got started with this, and, and it's a really great way for people to think about careers. Which is, hey, what did I do when I was in high school? Like, what did or what did I do when I was in college? Or what did I naturally gravitate towards? Right. So. Just an interesting way to to start the conversation and and to talk about the fact I didn't just start in data. I I was always in data.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's I I mean, when you were in high school at the time, you know, obviously, looking back now, you remember when you did that, when you were doing that, did you feel like, oh, yeah, this is something that I want to do? Or is that just the way your brain kind of worked?
1: No, it was never something I wanted to do. I mean, you have to think about this, right? There was no field of data. When I was in high school, uh, you basically had statisticians, right, who, you know, I guess knew statistics. You had market research. Um, you didn't have this proliferation of data that we have now, particularly in digital. Digital was at its nascent. So, I mean, I think what you're asking is actually a really great question, Charlie, which is the fact that we don't know where careers are going to go. Because, you know, as I said, the career of data really has only taken off in the last five years. I had no idea where I wanted to go. Studying people, that's something that I always figure out, okay, yeah, I'm really interested in people's behaviors and why they do what they do. Adding the data part in, that that came a lot
0: later. And that's probably been driven by the rise of the internet, so to speak?
1: Well, I mean, I think it's driven by the fact that we have data that we can collect on people's behaviors now. And the internet is the place where you can track the most information, right? So essentially, like, you know, with web analytics, which was really the first way to collect data, you're able to basically watch somebody's footprint as they go from one page to another. That to me is actually revolutionary, right? You never had this ability to track someone doing something. And so that's why digital becomes the mechanism to understand people's behavior.
0: I always joke around with with some of our clients or friends of mine who work in marketing being like, we actually have it so good compared to, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, like to your point how revolutionary it's been to be able to see the things that we're able to see and pull meaning from things. It's just not even comparable to 10, 15, 20 years ago, right?
1: Well, it's really funny that you mentioned marketing, right? So marketing, and and you know, I think we're gonna talk about this probably a lot later, but marketing's always been, you know, I think there's a famous phrase, like, you know, you spend 50% of your budget, you just don't know, you know, which half is effective, right? And so, <laughs> you know, you've come into this this world of ROI, but that's actually really dangerous. It doesn't work as well as we would like to. And again, I think it's something we're gonna touch on as 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 we go through this podcast, which is, oh my God, infinite amounts of data, but a lot of the data, remember, if you go back to my story about you know, what you're doing on that train, a lot of the data is not answering that question about that person it's answering questions that are easier to answer because you're just gathering a lot of data. So you have to be yeah. really careful in the world of marketing with data and how are you are using it and the kinds of questions that you're trying to answer.
0: That makes a ton of sense and that actually segues nicely into, into the next question I wanted to ask you. You've obviously worked at a lot of different companies across different industries. What do you think is the most misunderstood piece of analytics and insights work?
1: Oh, you know, um, I think that it, people just expect you to whip up insights in about 30 seconds. <laughs> so so it's not done yesterday, right, so I, I think that non-data people have a huge misconception of what goes into an analysis. Um, so, so this is actually this is really the biggest problem, right? So here's a funny story to illustrate this, but it's not really funny, it's kind of depressing. So the city of New York comes to the Tourism Bureau and says. I want a real-time dashboard of all the tourist activity in New York City. Okay. <laughs> so I'm just going to leave it at that. Yeah. Because if you work in data, you know, it's so great to want something, but actually delivering that, literally what they were asking for is impossible. Yeah. And I could Spend the rest of the podcast talking through why it's impossible to collect literally a real-time dashboard of all tourism activity in New York City, and it comes down to understanding things like methodology, how data is collected, sampling issues, you know, when the data is collected, how you get it, how you process it. There's all of this data engineering stuff, and there's all this data cleansing stuff. And there's all of this like stuff around data and how difficult it is to answer questions that I think there's just a lot of misconceptions, like I'm just gonna provide insights in 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. It's never like that. And so the most difficult thing with the proliferation of data that we have is to explain to non-data people, well you're you're not, you know, you may not get exactly what you want, but we can try and, and move in the direction of what you need. Right. So that conversation, it's almost like a constant battle of, yeah, here's what I want. And, and as a data person, well, here's what you can actually get.
0: Yeah. I think, it, and I, I guess that a follow-up question that I just have to that is, you know, with, it feels like marketing analytics and insights and data and all these things kind of that, you know, have traditionally fallen under marketing. They've gotten really, really popular over the last few years with the rise of digital. Yeah. And there's a lot of buzz around it. Data-driven decision-making, you yeah. know, that sort of thing. Yeah. Data-driven decision decision making has become like a buzzword or overhyped. Is there anything that sticks out to you that's overhyped?
1: It's crap. What what does that mean? Data driven decision making? I mean, let's talk about that for a second. Yeah. And good. I'm hoping that there's I'm hoping there's a lot of red flags here. People just start, you know, calling up and saying, I hate you, John, but I'm cool with that. (laughs) Um, The problem is that data in a lot of Places and a lot of companies, um, data departments actually live within the marketing department. So let's talk about why that's a problem. Um, and this is this is very philosophical, right? Yes, yeah, data-driven decision making. Really, what data-driven decision making means to marketers is support my shit or else. Excuse me, I just <laughs> cursed. But like support my initiative, right? Support what I'm trying to do, or you're fired, right? Like. Uh, It's Otherwise, the data organization actually needs to live outside of marketing to provide that voice of of data-driven decision-making to actually say, well, actually, you guys are not doing the right thing. uh, When it's your boss who needs to hold on to their job and you're reporting to them and you're doing the marketing within the organization, you have major issues. And I think this is a fairly common problem.
0: It's interesting to hear you point out, like, there are definitely kind of two sides of the fence. I feel like a lot of the best data people that I've worked with or or analytics folks are the ones who really understand business and or marketing or like the subject matter expertise where they're they're being deployed. I feel like that's such a unique thing. Do you have any advice for people who are on either side of that? Like how can data folks better work with business folks like such in marketing or how can marketing folks better work with data folks?
1: That's a really great question and I think you've basically come up with the crux of why data driven decision making is such a problem. I mean, you essentially have, you know, one team speaking Swahili and the other one's team speaking Swedish <laughs> and they're talking at each other and no one's listening because they're speaking different languages, right? Yeah. And you are 100% dead on, Charlie. I come from a marketing background, right? I'm not an analytics guy. I use data. I'm good at it. I'm good at finding insights, but I'm always marketing first, right? And so the mindset is always in the marketer, like where. You know, customer segmentation, audience, like how do you reach people? What are they supposed to do? Data people don't come from a marketing and business background. Particularly, what I'm finding more happening now is there's a proliferation of data people coming from computer science, from statistical and mathematical backgrounds. And this is making the gulf even worse. Right. When I first got into this, I'm like a grandfather of data. Like I've been doing this shit for far too long. Everyone had my background, right? They had like a sociology degree or some sort of political science. And they were like, cool, I like data to understand people. And like, I like business. And it was a lot of us kinds of web analysts. So web analytics analyst was the name of my title. Yeah. My first data title. And what you <laughs> you had like it was like this like hippie crew of like yeah man we're gonna use data we're gonna really find insights and help businesses and over time you're actually getting a lot less of that you're getting a lot more people who are entering this world from computer science and these are not people who are used to having to communicate findings and understand business and we have a real gulf. I don't know how to answer your question because I don't think that gulf has been solved for yet. It keeps getting worse.
0: One of the things that I, I've talked about on another episode is this balance between art, art and science within marketing, right? Like there was kind of like the two, the two camps. And it's fascinating to hear you talk about the, the gulf, so to speak, and the differentiation on the, it almost sounds like there's a gulf within the analytics side of things where you have like the data science folks and then like the more businessy folks who are still sitting on that side of the fence. And then there's like the creative side. (laughs) So it's interesting to kind of hear you say that because I've, I've always thought of the gap between art and science, but then within the science side, it sounds like there's almost like another kind of gap there that you're explaining. Do you agree or disagree with
1: that? Yeah, 100% agree with that. And I'm glad you brought it there. I mean, there's even a gap between the people who are really good at data engineering, right? Which is like creating the database so that you can hold all of this big data and the data science people who are like, you know, supposed to create algorithms and, and, you know, use predictive technologies to understand things. And then you've got the data analysts who are the ones who are supposed to speak to the business. And you know have those communication skills and those business skills, uh, and so how do these three sides work together? You know that's that's a big part of where we are in
0: data as well. That's probably why it's been so difficult for marketers, right? Because that's you know that's a big part of influencing decision making, helping steer the business where it needs to go. But also th- there's a whole. Can of worms in there that needs to get figured out, as well as all of the other areas of marketing that need to kind of come together to, you know, market effectively.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's just so many issues to becoming a data-driven organization, right? I think what I just said about these three roles, and this was like my first viral post ever on LinkedIn, and I was just doing jumps for joy, but I essentially defined these three roles, right? I was like, you got these data wranglers, they're the ones who are bringing all the data together and, you know, usually come from a, a software engineering background and are experts at creating databases. You've got these data productizers who use data to create products that, You know, recommendation engines or predictive algorithms and stuff like that. And then you've got, you know, your data strategists who use data to help companies figure out strategy. And even this concept is difficult for organizations to understand that these are three different disciplines within data. So, how are you then going to effectively talk to marketers who are like, I just need my data? (laughs) It's, you know, it's, it's, It's a lot to deal with. Yeah. Um, and I don't know. I'm not sure where it's going. Uh, But then you also, as I said, you also have marketers who want to operate by the gut and who say, I'm creative, and I don't want to listen to the data people. And you've got the data people who either can't fight back because A, they don't have the communication skills, or B, they're not empowered within their organization to fight back and say, no, you better listen to the data. So again, you know, I don't want to spend an entire hour talking about the problems in the data industry but it is it is really an interesting topic to me i
0: I feel like we should have another episode where we talk specifically about this but let's let's change gears a little bit here (laughs) Uh, move on i want to i want to talk about audience segmentation which is kind of what this with this episode is about this has been obviously a popular topic in in marketing specific and i want to go back to the basics first and so just what is audience segmentation and why is it valuable
1: So we have a world of 8 billion people or 7 billion or whatever, right? And we can split them into men and women, right? So now, okay, great. So now you have four smaller groups that's cool. And we can go further and we can split them into age ranges, right? So you've got, you know, 18 to 34 or 55 plus, and you keep breaking these groups down. Now, why do you do that? That's the really, that's the crux of it. When you're a marketer, you can't satisfy all 8 billion people in the world. You know, somebody living in outer Mongolia probably doesn't want to buy your product. So <laughs> you have to think, of right? I'm just using like a really obvious example. Yeah. So If you as a marketer, right, you need to understand your audience, the best way to do that is to create different groups of people who want to buy your product or consume your media. So a way to think about this, and I know I'm not supposed to bring up my LinkedIn, but I think it's actually a really great way to illustrate this idea of audience segmentation. So I create content on on LinkedIn. And I have very specifically created two distinct audiences so that when I create that content, I know it's going to resonate with them and they're going to buy my content and they're gonna buy it by looking at it, engaging, you know, commenting, sharing, whatever, right? For me, that's my win as a marketer, as a as a content creator. So I've specifically said, okay, young professionals in college, you know, who are, you know, graduating or you know, need some help and guidance on like how to emotionally deal with um, being a college student about to go into the working world. Okay, cool. One segment. Other segment is data people and understanding data topics and more data strategy, more conversations like, hey, what's audience segmentation or how are you using social data, stuff like that, right? Not going... And again, we just talked about audience segmentation. It's not the data scientists I'm interested in. It's not the data engineers I'm interested in. It's the data strategists. And how do you use business? And how do you find insights? So that's marketers, the more they understand the identity of who they're going after, which I just told you my identity as a content creator, the better they can target their marketing and their messaging. And the more they can say, Oh, okay, I understand what you need from my product, because you are who you are, you have your identity.
0: That makes a ton of sense. And so... I want to take that a step further now that we've talked about, you know, what it is, why it's valuable. Can you walk us through how you've approached this stuff in the past? I know you're doing some really cool stuff presently, which we're going to get into. Yeah. But yeah, how have you approached this in the past?
1: So let's talk about like typical, you know, how audience segmentation has been done, not by me. Um, I think that there's, and again, I'm not a statistician or an expert on any of this, but I think there's something called cluster analysis, where you essentially take a whole bunch of group of people and you say, okay, they all seem to have these similar types of characteristics. I have no idea how to do this. But what I have done in the past is I've used the power of um, social analytics. Um, So this is a cool example. Um, This was specifically when I was at BET. used the power of a clustering tool called Affinio. Shout out to Affinio. And what that did for me is it actually created these clusters for me of audiences. And, you know, you did this by essentially putting in a Twitter handle. So when I worked at BET, we would put in the BET Twitter handle. Um, one of our um, competitors was Complex Network. So we put them in as well to understand their audiences. And this cool thing spit out a whole bunch of different audiences. Some of them had cool names like Celebrity Moms and Basketball Players and Video Gamers, right? And so now I'm like, oh, my God. I have a really deep insight into the type of people who are following BET's content. And I essentially took this and created six or seven, you know, my own segments. And I was like, okay, this is what I'm going to get from a video, but I'm going to combine this all. And I think out of all of this, this is all of the African-American people who consume content, right? And this was all done through, as I said, the proliferation, we're going back to the beginning of the conversation, proliferation of digital data. That's what allowed us to do this, because we're collecting all of these fingerprints of what people are posting on Twitter, and you know what they're putting in their profiles about themselves, and we're saying, here you are, basketball player. Here you are, celebrity mom. Here you are, like reality TV lover, right? And so that was the first step in creating those audience segmentation was was essentially through Twitter, with through putting these people into groups together. I don't know how Affinio does it. They're just really cool. That was only the first part, right? So the identity part is is cool. So that's done. So we know who they are, but we don't know what they're consuming and why. And that's where things got really really fun. So what I essentially did from there is I would take those groups, let's say the basketball players, and I'd create what I call a virtual focus group. I would take 30,000 of them, and I'd take all their Twitter handles and I would put them into a social listening tool and for those who aren 't familiar, social listening tools essentially can take every single tweet out there in Twitter and allow you to ask questions about it and So what I did and, and what the um, the segmentation allowed me to do was I took those thirty thousand people and I put them into the into the social listening tool and i asked I asked the tool to tell me what are they talking about right? What are these thirty thousand people having conversations about? And it was really, really incredible some of the insights I was able to find based on this, right? I could query about anything. So, you know, we would work with advertisers and they wanted to know, hey, what does our audience think of Mother's Day? Right. We were trying to come up with Mother's Day content at VET. And so we plugged in one of the, we plugged in one of the audiences and This was a legitimate insight, Charlie. It was really cool. I asked, like, I think the celebrity moms, right? Like, what do you think of Mother's Day? Like, what comes up? And there was this idea of the mom as the queen. Right, This kept coming up. Mom is queen. Mom needs to be celebrated. Mom needs to go to Cheesecake Factory and we need to you know, worship her. That kind of insight, that's why you do audience segmentation work. You can now work with that on a creative sense and a marketing sense and say, wow, that's a really powerful concept. This, this idea that mom is, is the head of the household is somebody who needs to be worshipped. We can take that idea and creatively work with that.
0: Whoa, that's a crazy example. <laughs> and like the fact that you were able to unearth that is gangster. I love that.
1: But you can see the process of how you do that, right? Because you're querying the social data. You're looking for the themes of how people talk about things. You're coming up with the examples, And bingo, the insight kind of just screams at you, right? And that's, this, is, this is powerful, powerful stuff. Um, I'm going to toot my own horn here. I'm probably the only person who's done any of this kind of work. <laughs> but I mean, it does speak to the power of what brands can do if they want to use the power of social and, and audience segmentation to understand their different audiences and how they speak about them.
0: Yeah, I totally mm-hmm. agree. Was was that the first time you kind of dove into, I'm, I'm using air quotes here, alternative data sources or external sources playing into your segmentation work? Yeah, it was.
1: That's actually a great question, Charlie. Yeah, most of my segmentation work in the past had been done through um, Adobe Analytics and Omniture, right? Mm-hmm. I'm an Omniture guy, like I'm a web analytics guy. That was my tool. And so audience segmentation was always done through web analytics behavior, right? So hey, What's the difference between somebody who visits the site five plus times in the last month versus somebody who's a new user? And then, you know, figuring out those different audience segmentations. Um, It's powerful stuff, but not to the same degree as what I'm talking about with the proliferation of the social data that you're getting and the, the ability to segment through that.
0: Yeah, it's, it's one of those things that, and I, I guess it goes back to, you know, the title of this is this idea of, of hiding in plain sight and using oh my stuff God, yeah. that's, that's all around you. And it's just a matter of harnessing it in the right way.
1: I think that's a brilliant way to frame it, Charlie. This is all available for all of us to do, right? All it takes is it's, it's there. It's hiding in plain sight. What I'm describing to you is just a technique to mold the data into something that's useful. And, and that's really all it is. And, and I love this idea of, of hiding in plain sight because if you want to do it, you can you just aren't doing it right there's there's no excuse not to you're just not necessarily thinking of it in the right way
0: yeah one of the things that i i've been thinking about a lot and talking to people a lot about and and you know trying to post about to marketers is that there's this idea that you know for the past however many years we've kind of had one eye closed so to speak and by looking at the external data sources you're taking that you're uncovering that eye so now you can see the complete picture internal and external and then by doing that, that's gonna give you much more information that you can then use to make a better, more informed decision.
1: Yeah, but the problem here, not to start a debate, but the problem here is that marketers really only care about ROI and direct, <laughs> direct relevance, right? <laughs> so I'm talking about something, I'm talking about something that's brand building, right? Identities and messaging and like the really important stuff of marketers. And marketers are like, okay, fine, just tell me who's converting the most, right? So, you know, you have that problem of trying to take the stuff that's hiding in plain sight, the stuff that's interesting, the stuff that can really move your business, and convince marketers that they can keep their job even more if they go into the brand side and understand how that works, rather than just saying, okay, which, you know, which group converted more on the red or yellow?
0: Yeah. that You, you know what? You, <laughs> uh, you? I mean, you nailed it. I, that, that just, I, I have a follow-up question. So... How have you, in the past, obviously, you know, you, you work with, with marketing folks and you said you're a marketer, but now you kind of are on more of the research and analytics and data side. Yeah. What advice do you have for people to work closer together, right? Like when, when you go to a marketer and the marketer is like, just you tell me what converts.
1: <laughs> Mm-mm, you got to speak their language. You have to speak their language. You have to build their trust. You have to go in and talk to marketers like you know who they are. Right, it comes back to the Swahili and Swedish thing I said. You can't be a data person. You have to go and you say, "What are your objectives right now? Where are you trying to go? What's your high-level strategy? What are you? How are you trying to move your Titanic marketing ship right now?" Right, you've got a giant ship, and you can go in five hundred different directions and i want to know what direction you're heading in at this moment mm-hmm. that's the question that you ask that's the, you know you stop them from jumping right into the campaign and you say back up what what are we what are we really trying to do here Right. And and you keep asking the question until they give you an answer because they're gonna keep jumping back into the tactical. And you as the analyst person can't go there with them. Mm-hmm. You have to go up to the strategy and you have to say, No, 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 no. As a business, like let's fundamentally talk about you as a marketer right now, the problem that you're solving for. I don't care about the campaign right now. I care about what you want. What do you want people to do? And how do you want our business to help them do that? And you have to drill this question until they come back to you with an answer. And they're like, well, actually, like in the case of New York City, you know, we're just trying to keep the New York like under focus now with COVID in, in a positive way and combat some of the negative stuff going on, right? Okay, cool. So as a data person, I can work with that.
0: It references like what is the overarching thing that you're trying to achieve, right? Like, and, and I feel like even getting clear on that, sometimes I, f- I feel like marketers, and I've sat on marketing seats where I don't necessarily have clear direction of like what are the objectives that I'm accountable for. And then that makes it harder to go downstream, so to speak, to understand, you know, what data should we be looking at? to help us understand what we need to accomplish. And so it's, it's unique to... Well, it's not unique. I guess it's, it's, it doesn't surprise me to hear that that's the case as well.
1: Yeah, but I mean, your entire data project is going to fail if you yeah. don't start at that top level. If you don't have an objective of what are we trying to accomplish here and how are we trying to do it you're done. You're, you're, you're failed. You're, you're not going anywhere. You're not going to get anything out of it. You're going to have a bunch of numbers and you're going to say, this is up and down. And then people are going to go, so what? And everybody's going to say data doesn't serve any purpose. Mm -hmm. So you're doomed from the start if you don't have those objectives.
0: And then, so it's objectives and then asking the right questions to get really clear on those. Yeah. It's just
1: not, it's being relentless. It's saying, Mm -hmm. what are we trying to do here? And if you don't get those, questions, I'm sorry, I don't mean to be cynical, but you're just not going to be an effective data department. It really does start with that. right? And so the relationship with the marketer needs to be speaking at that strategic level, and then diving into the tactics. Right after. I mean, I've I've had some really good examples of doing that with marketing team at at NYC and Company. I don't have too much time to get into it, but we started at the at the top, and you know, we were trying. This was pre-COVID, and we were trying to figure out what's our what we trying to really accomplish with international visitors. And you know, it took two to three hours, but I worked with the marketing team. We essentially said, Ah, we need to get them out of Times Square, which is you know the most popular part of New York City, and we need to move them around the rest of New York City okay as a researcher as a data person now i have something to work with right because once you have that objective of okay we need to get them out of here and go over there great we have an objective with our campaign we can measure to see how effective we are in doing that and we can it all it all sort of cascade and waterfalls from there
0: yeah that's a good segue. I want to I want to talk about the work that you're currently starting to do with around audience segmentation. You alluded to some fascinating stuff. I want to pry a little bit more and kind of dig into that. Talk to us about what you're working on. Yes.
1: Oh, man. I'm really proud of the work we've done at NYC and Company. So this is... Yeah, I feel like this is the culmination of what I've done in my very, very long data career. <laughs> <laughs> but essentially, we have... At NYC and Company, um, you know, and this is for audience profiles from different countries, right? So, British or Brazilians or Chinese or Italians, whoever you want to think of. Essentially, what we've done is we've mashed together eight different data sources to come up with these audience profiles of who these people are. And the way I like to talk about it is each of these data sources is a different part of the puzzle, right? They answer a different question. They help us figure out something that the other data sources don't. So, I don't know if your audience is too interested in this, but we can talk about what some of those data sources are. Um, we have credit card data So we actually collect by different categories where the spend is coming from each individual country. Um, and we can break that down by quarter, right, in the year, and we can see what's up and down. We created some mega, mega cool, wicked dashboards out of that. Um, and then, so we also look at Google search data, uh, which to me is one of my favorite data sources. So, we collect that and it's the impression data, not necessarily the click data. Of what are people searching for and how is it differing by each country? Um, for our six top markets, we did a major survey study uh, where we learned information about how they make decisions about travel. And so, we put that information there and what's the differences between these markets of how they travel. And then we actually broke out the markets and the rich people. (laughs) So We wanted to see what was the luxury travel from each of those markets. And then website data, like what kind of content are they consuming and how is that different from everybody else. And social media data, I I talk about it a lot and I am a huge fan of social listening data. I don't think it's used very well, but I like how we did it, which was to sort of, you know, we did something really cool. We used Twitter to find Instagram posts and we looked uh-huh. we just did this very very qualitative analysis of hey if you're brazilian and you're traveling like what are you trying to say about yourself when you travel and that was the question that we were answering huh. through Instagram and looking at the Instagram photos and collecting hundreds of them and and coming up with these themes and and we came up again you know I love sharing insights one of my favorite themes is about Brazilians and Brazilians want to be seen doing something all the time, <laughs> so this was actually an insight. And, you know, again, you take that insight and you can use that for marketing. But I, I tested this on the Brazilians that I knew, and they're like, "Oh my God, yeah, we have to go to a city, and we have to just, like be in front of something and show that we're doing it, right?" And that's is,
0: hilarious. These kinds of
1: insights. So again, you're like, you're like, literally, this is just an amalgamation of data. They all serve a different purpose in your mashing it together and now you've got a real in-depth understanding of who these people are we haven't even talked to any of them (laughs) that's the best part we're just taking little thing you know thumbprints or or, or, you know uh, breadcrumbs and collecting them and, and throwing them together and understanding who are these
0: people I want to dig a little bit deeper into this idea of mashing that stuff together can you talk about why that's valuable to look at all these different sources and kind of mash them together because none of these
1: sources by themselves
0: tells you the whole picture, right?
1: So if I'm looking at, um, let's say, the search data, that's going to tell me that they're interested in Broadway, or they're interested in certain types of restaurants, or you know, for the British, we learned through that data that they love to go to sporting events, but. That's not going to tell me how they make decisions, right? So the search data is not going to tell me, hey, how, you know, how long, what's the booking process? How long does that take? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> you know, not through the search data. The spend data is going to tell me, are they more interested in restaurants or shopping or attractions? But it's not going to tell me why, right? So if I'm going to, if I want to find the why, I'm going to have to go into the social data. The social data is not going to tell me what those other data sources are telling. So. You really have to throw them all together in order to get this like full picture of these audiences or you're missing a certain part of who
0: they are. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. I think that kind of ties into my next question about the the future. What are you excited for when it comes to analytics and insights and marketing in the future? What gets you fired up? Because you're someone who has obviously had a long career, but also have worked in some really cool forward thinking applications in this. What fires you up?
1: I'm most excited about, and this is just for the travel industry because that's where I'm working right now, Um, this idea of mobile location data. I mean, a lot of people get sketched out from it, right? Oh, no, we're tracking people and they know where we are when we're going to the bathroom and all that. No, okay, fine. But what it really allows us to do is for the first time, move outside of the digital world and into the, the physical world and understand people's movement, um, what they're doing, and and who they are to a degree that we've never been able to do before. And I know it's really sketchy to people and it's scary, but I mean, look, it's already happening on websites, people. (laughs) If you're going to a website, they're tracking all you're doing. So this idea that we can understand and use segmentation and audience segments by understanding things like census tract to understand who people are and what they do um, when they are someone or whether it's at a retail or, you know, for the tourism industry, this is revolutionary. This is information that uh, was never available and is now at our fingertips to use. To understand patterns. Actually, we have a really cool example of how we just did this for COVID uh, tracking in New York, which was we wanted to understand the effects of, of social distancing policies in New York City. And so what we did was we took the mobile location data and we tracked all of the parks across New York City. And we said, hey, over time, are we seeing fewer devices or more devices in each of these parks and around bridges and tunnels? And we could actually, with pinpoint accuracy, kind of understand where the most social distancing was happening and how much, you know, lack of traffic there was, et cetera. Um, This is exciting stuff and it's useful for so many different areas that uh, have never really been involved in data before.
0: I think the the privacy conversation is obviously something that I feel like pre-COVID was like a big conversation. And what I find ironic is with everybody kind of at home now, nobody's really talking about the privacy thing, it appears. And, and, and I think about this, this idea of, you know, there's, there's privacy and then there's convenience, right? And it, it, how funny yeah. it is how we, we talk a big game when it comes to privacy, yet here we are on all of our devices, on all of our sites, consuming away, That's living right. our daily life because it's convenient. And so, That's yeah, right. it, is, it is interesting to see the, the, what we say versus what we do.
1: Yeah, you know, people are lazy, and they're going to take the the least course of action, and then they're just going to complain that they have privacy and all of this (laughs) stuff, right? But at the end of the day, you know, I think that this is just, this is the future of data and analytics, this data source to move outside of digital. And, And, you know, this also helps marketers, not just in the travel industry, but I mean, it really helps. You know, understand things like, you know, offline attribution. I don't even want to start talking about this kind of stuff. But, you know, when you know that somebody has a device and they're moving and they use a certain website you know, you now have a better understanding of their full customer journey and and what they're doing. I know it scares people, but it is, to me, the most revolutionary and interesting thing in in, in analytics. Um, Notice how I didn't say anything about predictions or algorithms or machine learning. Uh, Those are just areas that I don't know much about. And I I don't know what business value they serve. So I don't even want to start talking about it until somebody can tell me this is how this stuff is helping businesses. I'm not going to be skeptical, but I'm not going to pay as as much attention as as everybody else is.
0: Totally fair. So as we start to wrap this up a little bit, is there any piece of advice that you want to share for marketers or or data and insights folks that they should be keeping top of mind?
1: Marketers need to really care about their customers and who they are. I don't know how to make this any clearer. If they're not upset, with getting into the mind of their customer and getting into the mind of who they are, getting into the mind of why they do things, thinking about it constantly, obsessing about it constantly. Don't get into the marketing game. Do something else. Because we need marketers who really are just so focused on that, on who the customer is. And, and then everything cascades from there. Then you can do tactics and you can do strategies. But if you're not constantly thinking about who they are, what they're doing, where the spending patterns are and keeping up with it, don't go into marketing. (laughs) Do something else because that obsession with the customer and who they are and what they do and why they do it, that's what the great marketers do. right? But we tend to think of marketing as tactics. But the tactics have to come from somewhere and they come from this understanding of the identity of the customer. And the great marketers that I've worked with have always had this obsession with the customer. And it's always the thing they talk about the most. And if anybody tries to move away from it, they bring it right back. I don't know if you've had the same experience, Charlie. But when I do talk to really good marketers, that's what they do. (laughs) They always bring it back to who that person is. They never let go of that. You know, somebody will try and move them into a tactical conversation and they'll be like, well, certain segments of our company like this kind of stuff. They always have rooted language in that. It makes me really happy. But I just, I don't know. I I just feel like, and then they can speak to the research teams in better ways and say, here's what I need to know about the customer. Can you deliver on this? So it's not just up to the data person to ask the question. The marketer is there as well.
0: I completely agree. What's the best place for people to find you online? I think I know what the answer is going to be. Oh, (laughs)
1: you can find me on LinkedIn. The funny thing is about my LinkedIn is I'm some sort of like spiritual guru um, who types <laughs> things about like modern day Buddhism and psychoanalysis and acceptance of feelings and all of that, which we didn't talk about at all here. Um, but if you want to follow me for that kind of stuff and get your daily dose of, I don't know, Eastern wisdom, <laughs> you can find me on LinkedIn. <laughs> If you want to find more of my data stuff, I have some articles that I write on Medium, but I'm really leaving it up to these blogs. Thank you, not blogs, these these podcasts. Thank you, Charlie, um, to talk more about the data side of what I do. Because, quite frankly, I just don't think there's that much interest. Well, <laughs> not compared to live your best life. So, you know, again, I'm looking at my audiences.
0: Yeah, makes hmm. a ton of sense. Well, John, thanks so much for joining me today. I really appreciate you taking the time to share your, your knowledge and wisdom with us. I learned a lot and I'm sure others did as well. This was a
1: pleasure, Charlie. I had a lot of fun. Thanks for listening to my ramblings.
0: For show notes, other episodes, and more content, check out rightmetric.co. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks for listening.